Well, would you turn with me this evening to the Gospel of Matthew and chapter 6. The Gospel according to Matthew and chapter 6. Reading at verse 25 down to the end of the chapter. Matthew 6 from verse 25. Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So we're continuing our study in the Sermon on the Mount, this great sermon that we've been looking at for quite some time. And, but as I mentioned to you last time, uh, when we were looking at verses 19 to 24, uh, in this section, that section of Matthew's Gospel, I said that we were, I suppose you could say, halfway through the Sermon on the Mount. We were only halfway through where we, we've looked at the Beatitudes in, in the first half of chapter 5, We've looked at our relationship to the law in the second half of chapter 5. And then uh, we looked at the problem of, of being a hypocrite in Christianity. And that's the beginning of chapter 6. And then last time, when we were looking at, as the title says, laying up treasures in heaven, uh, we arrived at this halfway point in the Sermon on the Mount. And looking at it, it seemed that Jesus wanted to know if we had been if we have been taking in all that we have been learning. Because throughout this sermon we've been taught how to live as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And we've been challenged to think about what it means to live a Christ-centered life. And, the half, and at the halfway point Jesus challenged us on the issue of worldliness. The issue of worldliness. But then following on from his teaching about worldliness, Jesus now wants to teach us about worry. He wants to teach us about worry. And the question Jesus wants to ask us is, how much do we trust our Heavenly Father? How much do we trust our Heavenly Father? But what Jesus wants us to see is, is that both worldliness and worry they are very closely related. Because if we are worldly, we won't be trusting in our Heavenly Father to supply all our needs. 
If we have a worldly mindset, then we will be putting our trust in all the things around us to help us and sustain us in life. And so what Jesus wants us to see is that worldliness and worry are very closely related. And we can see that even from the way in which Jesus initiates these two sections of of teaching, where Jesus begins the section of worldliness in in verse 19, and he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust corrupts, and thieves break in and steal. And then when Jesus begins the section on worry, he, he makes another statement. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, not about your body, what you will put on. And the point Jesus wants to raise with us now is, how much do we trust our heavenly Father. But before Jesus comes to his conclusion and teaches us how to trust our Heavenly Father, Jesus says, look around you. He says, tells us to stop and look around you. And when he tells us to look around, Jesus asks us to contemplate something of creation. And then he asks us to con- consider something of creation. And once we've done that, once we've looked at these things and gained the right perspective, then Jesus will conclude his teaching on worry. So prior to his conclusion, where he gathers all the evidence, Jesus wants us, first of all, to look around, contemplate the birds, and then look around and consider the lilies. And then he'll bring it all to conclusion. So let's first of all do as Jesus asks and look around and contemplate the birds. Contemplate the birds. Where, where Jesus says in verse 25. Therefore I tell you. Do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat. What you will drink. Not about your body. What you will put on. Is not life more than food. And the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap. Nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they. So as Jesus teaches us to trust in our heavenly Father, he first of all tells us to look around and contemplate the birds. And with, with this Jesus tells us to look at the birds and study them in a sense like a bird watcher would. And we're to, where we're to, to give the birds attention. We're to reflect on their behaviour and think about what the birds are like. And we don't need to be avid bird watchers and have read all the books to know exactly what Jesus is talking about. Because the contrast that Jesus makes emphasizes the point. Because when we look at the birds, and they're all around us in all shapes and sizes and colors and species, we see them every single day. But when we look at them, some of them are so small and so insignificant and Helpless, And what's more is that there are so many of them. We see them all the time. And when we see that there are so many of them, it means that there are so many mouths to feed. And as Jesus highlights the great need of the birds of the air, he indicates that there are three things that the birds don't do. They don't sow, they don't reap, and they don't gather into barns. They don't work the land in order to produce crops and store it up for for the coming winter. Birds don't engage in an agricultural process. And yet the marvel is, they don't starve. 
They never starve. They never go hungry. And the reason they don't starve, says Jesus, is because your heavenly Father feeds them. Not their heavenly Father, but your heavenly Father. He feeds them. But when we look at this, Jesus isn't telling telling his followers. We're not to get the wrong idea and think that we're not to work the land. And not prepare for the coming winter. He, he's not telling us that we don't have to bother working and struggling to make ends meet. And that uh, we just have to have enough faith to trust that our Heavenly Father will miraculously provide food on the table every evening. That's not what Jesus is talking about, of course. He's not saying sit back and do nothing. And see that your Heavenly Father will provide for you. Just like he provides for, for all of the birds. Because when you look at the birds, there's one thing about them, they're never idle. You never see them sitting for long. They're not lazy. Because they're constantly on the search for food. And they're continually looking out for for the next meal and in order to provide for their offspring. And so it's not due to idleness that our Heavenly Father feeds these birds. It's because of his care towards them as his creation. And when we think about the work rate of birds, we're seeing them all the time, constantly moving. When we think about their work rate, I suppose you can ask the question, is there a busier bird than the sparrow? We sang about the sparrow in Psalm 84. Behold, the sparrow findeth out and house wherein to rest. Constantly moving. Constantly on the, on the lookout. Tirelessly working on building its nest and searching for food. And even Jesus, he often highlights the sparrow. Because in Matthew 10, Jesus, as we, we, you could read on yourself, when he's talking about the same subject in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And by asking the question, Jesus indicates to us how valuable a sparrow was. That you can purchase two of them for a penny. It's a bargain. You can get two of them for a penny. Which isn't much and it means that they aren't worth much. In fact, they're pretty worthless. But the point that Jesus was making is that He's, as he says in Matthew 10, not one of them will fall to the ground without your heavenly Father knowing. And Jesus then says, therefore, do not fear. You are of more value than many sparrows. And that's what Jesus is saying here in the Sermon on the Mount. Are you not of more value than many birds? And with this illustration, Jesus is asking us, Why are you worried about the Lord's provision? Why are you worried about the Lord's provision? And I suppose the illustration would probably carry more weight with the original hearers in the first century. Simply because uh, food shortages were much more common than they are in our our western world in the 21st century. Where we we have an abundance of food. We have shops that are full of food imported from all over the world and our aisles and our supermarkets they're just absolutely bursting at the seams with food but in the first century and even in our own island last century many homes and families had to work the land they had to sow 
they had to reap. They had to gather into barns in order to prepare for the coming winter. And the provision for the winter was, it was all dependent upon the weather. Which in turn had a great effect upon the crops growing that year. But by looking at the context and considering the original audience, the, the people who first heard this sermon, who heard it firsthand, I believe that Jesus, the reason Jesus raises this point here is because the people of Israel, they often failed to trust in the provision of their Heavenly Father. And I say that because the main cause of idolatry in the Old Testament was when the Israelites turned away from the Lord and they worshipped Baal. Just as we have it in the days of Elijah. You have Elijah on the top of Mount Carmel and we're asking, well, why is he there? Because there's a drought in the land and because the people had turned away from the Lord and they began to worship Baal. And they had turned to Baal because he was said to be the God that all the other nations worshipped. And he always provided a good harvest for his people. And so Israel, in their worldly pursuits, they wanted a good harvest like all the other nations did. So they too turned to worship Baal. And they gave up on the Lord and they sought this weather God to help them out. And we know the story. Elijah on the top of Mount Carmel proves Baal is a false god. And the Lord, he is God. But with this in mind, I believe... I believe that Jesus is teaching us. He's, he's teaching us to trust in the provision of our Heavenly Father and not to turn to the vain idols of this world for help. Because when he delivers his conclusion, Jesus states in verse 33, he says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all other things shall be added unto you. And to the the first century here should do not seek Baal first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all other things shall be added unto you. And so Jesus is saying to us, contemplate the birds. Contemplate the birds. Look at the birds. They work hard and your heavenly father provides for them. But you're of more value than they are. You're more precious than they are because... You're made in the image and likeness of God. So why do you worry? And Jesus asks, what does worrying solve? What does it achieve? Of what benefit is worrying to us? And he says, which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? The cubit is the length of your forearm. How, how, which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? Or... As the ESV says, which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to the span of his life? And the point is the same. Jesus is trying to make us see that worrying does nothing for us. It doesn't make us bigger. It doesn't make us younger. Worrying does nothing for us. It does nothing for us. And that's where, that's where Jesus leaves the illustration. He leaves us hanging until his conclusion. And he just goes on to the next illustration in order to further impress upon us his teaching. So Jesus has told us, look around, look around and contemplate the birds. Contemplate the birds. But secondly, he says, look around and consider the lilies. Consider the lilies. And once we've done that, once we've gained the right 
perspective, Jesus will then conclude his teaching about worry. So let's consider the lilies. Let's consider the lilies. He says in verse 28, And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. And in these words, Jesus turns our attention to clothing. And he asks why we worry about what we wear. But he's not talking about being image conscious and worrying about our appearance, which sadly many in our society are obsessed with, where the image is everything. And they have to have all the brand names and all the best labels and look the part so that everyone in the society will accept them. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. And although clothing isn't as big an issue as the provision of food, the provision of clothing was one of the basic necessities of life. And in order to give us the right perspective of God's provision, Jesus says, consider the lilies. Consider the lilies. Now we all know what lilies are like. Uh, We've seen them before. Some have maybe received them in a bouquet. But we know... That when they grow, they produce all sorts of colours. They're colours of white and pink and purples and oranges and reds and yellows. Uh, And when they blossom, they're a beautiful flower. And Jesus says, consider the lilies. Consider their beauty. Consider this beautiful flower. And in order for uh, the lily to become that beautiful, he says, it doesn't work. And it doesn't toil. It doesn't spin. It doesn't weave any fabric or spin any wool or produce any form of of material to, to clothe itself in such beauty. Because the clothing of the lily and the beauty of the lily, says Jesus, belongs solely to God. God has provided for the lily. The provision for the lily is from God. And we might not think much of the lily of the field. Just like we might not think much of the bird of the air. But Jesus says, your heavenly Father has provided for them. And as Jesus highlights the lily, he goes on to give this comparison. A comparison between the beauty of the lily and the majesty of Solomon. The beauty of the lily and the majesty of Solomon. Because he says, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. And when Jesus mentions Solomon, he gives to us this picture of of majesty. Where Solomon was the wealthiest and the wisest king to have ever lived. And he would have had the finest garments embroidered with the best materials. Just like our own queen. You never see her, they say. You never see her in the same outfit. And when you do see her, she's this picture of of elegance and beauty and and majesty. She's she's royalty. But Jesus says, even Solomon, even Solomon in all his glory, in all his wealth, 
Even though he was clothed in all the finest materials, he was nothing in comparison to the beauty of the lily. And it's some comparison to make. To, to compare the glory of King Solomon with the beauty of the insignificant lily of the field. But Jesus then delivers the point of his comparison. Because he says in verse 30, If God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? And the point which Jesus is making is just like the point he made with the birds of the air. It's that we are of much more value. Jesus says, if God clothes even the grass of the field that you tread upon under your feet every day, if God views it with such value that he would clothe it with a beautiful garment of lilies, and Jesus is giving us this, this perfect image of a perfect garden of lilies with all these beautiful flowers. And he says, if God clothes the grass of the field with such beauty, remember that that beauty is only temporary. It's only seasonal. It's, there. it's only there today. But tomorrow it's thrown into the oven. It's of no use. It won't last. It's temporary. It's transitory. It's, it's fleeting. And in this statement, Jesus turns, he's trying to turn the whole thing on its head. And he's saying, will he not much more clothe you? Will he not much more clothe you? And the point Jesus is making is that if your heavenly father gives that much attention to the grass of the field with, and to clothe it with such beauty, grass that only lasts a season, then surely, as someone who is as valuable and precious in his sight, surely, then your heavenly Father will meet you at the point of your need. That's what Jesus is getting at. Surely, your heavenly Father will meet you at the point of your need. And Jesus then rebukes us to ever have considered ever anything for even ever doubting or questioning the provision of our Heavenly Father. Where he says, O ye of little faith. O ye of little faith. And you know, when we listen to what Jesus is saying here and actually take time to, to look around us and contemplate the small and insignificant bird of the air and when we consider the, the lily of the field that's clothed with such beauty, surely we can see that we are of more value than them. Surely we can see that we are of more value than them. And it's only when Jesus manages to give us uh, the, the right perspective of what our Heavenly Father thinks of us. Once we manage to grasp our value in God's sight as his children and we see that we are precious and we are treasured and we are cared for by him. It's then that Jesus concludes his teaching about worry. Which brings us to look at the conclusion. Jesus, he's asked us to contemplate 
Contemplate the birds, consider the lilies. But now, with the right perspective, understanding what Jesus is getting at, he brings it to the conclusion and he says, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles, they seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And... As we come to his conclusion, Jesus, first of all, Jesus began the section about worry, asking the question, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And I'm sure that every one of us would agree that there are greater worries in life than food and clothing. But in the first century, food and clothing were a matter of life and death. Food and clothing were the difference between surviving another winter or not. And just thinking about it to some extent with food banks up and down our country, there are those in our day and generation who are struggling to provide for themselves. But for the most part, when we apply this teaching to our own context, we ought to be thankful that none of us have the worries of food or clothing. We have an abundance. We lack nothing. We have everything we need and sometimes more than we need. But that doesn't mean that this teaching of Jesus is now irrelevant to us. We may have plenty and not be in want. But as you and I both know, it doesn't mean that we are free from worry. It doesn't mean that we are free from worry. Just because we lack nothing doesn't mean that our lives are are carefree. Because there are many other things that cause us anxiety and worry and worry is always a problem it's always there and it's something that's so natural to us and there are any amount of reasons as to why we might worry we may worry about illness whether it's related to us or to someone we know and someone we love we may worry about our job and the threat of losing our job we may worry about Things when times are hard and money is short. We may worry about those in our family, our children, our husband, our wife, those who are, who are re- related to us. We may worry about waiting for the results of scans or, or tests. And when we're worried or anxious about something, it can affect us in so many different ways. Because worry can consume our mind to the point that that's all we're thinking about. Morning, noon and night. And if that's the case, it it will inevitably cause us to lose focus on the day-to-day tasks. And maybe we even lose sleep because we're worrying. Which will also have a knock-on effect and disrupt our productivity, whether at work or in school or, or at home. And worry and tiredness together can often make us angry and frustrated where everything is heightened and and we become snappy and we feel so tense, which will also affect the way that we treat others at work. And there's this knock-on effect of, of worry. And it's all rooted back to worry. And our worries, they may even cause us to question God. Why? 
And maybe it weakens our faith and our trust in, in God's sovereign purposes in our lives. And all these worries, they may be heightened even further by what might happen. But might never happen. And so there are a great number of reasons why we worry and it affects us in a variety of of different ways and some people even say worry is a sin. Worry is a sin. And anxiety is a lack of faith. But my only question is by saying that does that actually help anyone? Does it help anyone? It may be theologically correct to say that worry is a sin and anxiety is a lack of faith but does that actually help and encourage anyone who is worried or anxious? I don't think so. It's probably the most unhelpful thing you could say to them. Apart from ever saying to someone who's worried or anxious about something, the worst thing you could say when they have no idea what they're going through is to tell them not to worry and that everything will be okay. That's the most unhelpful thing we could ever say because it's just being thoughtless and insensitive. And how do we know it's going to be okay? We're not God. So my friend, if and when you're worried, I'm not going to tell you it's going to be okay. But I do want to highlight to you what Jesus says about worry. Because in in this conclusion of Jesus, we're reminded that regardless of the nature and the cause of worry, the application remains the same. Your heavenly Father knows what you need. And that's what Jesus has been trying to indicate to us with the illustration of the birds of the air and and the lilies of the field. Jesus has been trying to give us the right perspective of who we are in the sight of our Heavenly Father. Because if our Heavenly Father will provide for the birds of the air, how much more will He provide for us? And if our Heavenly Father will clothe the grass of the field, how much more will He clothe us? But sometimes it's hard for us to be told about our identity when we're worried and anxious. Sometimes it's hard for us, even as Christians, to be told, trust in the provision of your Heavenly Father. Which is why Jesus used these two illustrations of the insignificant bird and the insignificant lily. It's in order to give us the right perspective. The right perspective, not only the right perspective of of God, but also the right perspective of our status as a child of God. And Jesus does this because once we manage to grasp our value in God's sight as his children, and see that we are precious, we are treasured, we are cared for we are cared for by him we are known to him as the apple of his eye it's then that we will seek first the kingdom of god and his righteousness and that's how jesus concludes his teaching about worry he he says we must first of all know our identity and our value as a child of god that we are blood bought We're redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. We're cleansed from all sin. That's what I love about John, the way John writes his letters. 
He says, if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness because the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. And then John goes on into chapter 3. When you read it through, behold what manner of love. Having spoken about Jesus and his blood and his cleansing, behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. That's the marvel of our identity, of who we are as God's people. We've been adopted into the family of God. We are sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father. And we have a Father in Heaven who loves us and cares for us and wants the best for us. And we might not always see that or understand what He's doing in the providences of our lives, but as our Father and as his children, we have to trust that he, he knows what he's doing. And Jesus says, when we have the right perspective of who he is and who we are as his children, and that we are citizens of the kingdom of God, it's then that we'll truly seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Not that our, our worries will somehow disappear because we have the right perspective not at all but what Jesus is saying is that when we have the right perspective of who God is and who we are our worries will not cause us to be to be overwhelmed and lose sight of God and become immobile rather when we know who we are in Christ our worries and our concerns will enable us to seek first the help, the encouragement and the provision of our Heavenly Father. Our first port of call when we know we are a child of God who can run to our Father, our first port of call will be Him. And so Jesus concludes and He says in verse 34, Do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Your father has that in control too. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. In other words, you have enough concerns and worries to deal with today. Don't look ahead and worry about tomorrow. The worries of tomorrow, they might not even happen. Instead, focus upon today. And bring your worries and concerns of today. And place them into the care of your heavenly Father. It's not what Peter says. Cast all your cares upon the Lord. Why? Because he cares for you. That's, that's the confidence we have. As the children of God, we can cast everything upon him. Not hold on to it and pretend we're casting it to him, but cast it to him. Because he cares for us. And that's what... Paul was reminding the church in Philippi when we were reading in Philippians 4. He encouraged those Christians who were worried about suffering for their faith. And Paul said to them, do not be anxious about anything. Or as the AV puts it, be careful for nothing. Don't be so full of care that you lose perspective and it keeps you from coming to the Lord as, as your first port of call. But in everything, says Paul, 
by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving for your providence. Let your request be made known to God. And Paul assured the Philippians that with all their worries and all their concerns, the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And when Paul spoke to the Philippians, he didn't speak as someone who was ignorant. He spoke from his own experience, where he himself had had many concerns and and worries, but he could say about them all, I have learned. I have learned. He didn't always know it. But he could say, I have learned that in whatever state I am, therewith to be content. For I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He could do everything because his first port of call was always his heavenly father. And that's the testimony of the child of God. The child of God who has a right perspective of who God is and who they are. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So, May that be our testimony as we worry about today and cast everything into the care of our Heavenly Father and live as the children of God day by day. May the Lord bless these thoughts to us. Let us pray. Gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank Thee that Thou art our Father and we are the clay and Thou art potter. And Lord, we bless thee, O Lord, tonight that we are always in the hands of our great potter, that he is moulding us and shaping us into the image of thy dear Son. And O Lord, help us, we pray thee, to see that thou art the God who has promised to begin a good work in us and will bring it on to completion. Help us, we pray thee, to, to trust thee with all our heart, Even as Solomon wrote long ago, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not upon your own understanding, but in all your ways to acknowledge him, for he shall direct your paths. It is a marvel, Lord, that we we are able to trust thee. But help us, Lord, to do it each and every day, to bring everything to thy footstool, to consider thee as our Father, and to realize that we are thy children. We are precious in thy sight. We are kept by Thee each and every day. Oh, bless us, Lord, we pray Thee, as Thy family. Build us up and encourage us, and keep us on the way, that we might keep looking to Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. Cleanse us then, we pray, and do us good. For Jesus' sake. Amen. shall conclude by singing in Psalm 37. Psalm 37 in the Scottish Psalter, page 252. Psalmist who is encouraging... others not to worry about their enemies not to fret and he tells them to trust the Lord for evildoers fret thou not thyself unquietly 
nor do thou envy bear to those that work iniquity. For even like unto the grass soon be cut down shall they, and like the green and tender herb, they wither shall away. Set thou thy trust upon the Lord, and be thou doing good, and so thou in the land shalt dwell, and verily have food. Delight thyself in God, he'll give thine heart's desire to thee. Thy way to God, commit him trust, it bring to pass shall he. These verses of Psalm 37 to God's praise. Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all, now and forevermore. Amen.